You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wyatt, Terry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Robin Mock, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm really excited to have Jillian Harvey on the show with me today. She has an amazing book. It's called Everything is Fine, the funny, feel-good, and uplifting page-turner you won't want to put down. Uh, you know what, Jillian? Um, you know, it's it's a brand new year, 2021, um, and I, I think we we need some feel-good and uplifting uh, page turners to come this way. So I'm glad uh, that the book is out and thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Great to be here. So Jillian, we begin each show with the same question. And that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Well, I think I was about five years old and I was just um, fruit and vegetables that came to life um, and finding out that it was written by a girl who was just seven and I realized that that's what I really wanted to do and I was instantly kind of jealous of her because I thought oh she made it as a writer <laughs> um, <laughs> it took me maybe another 35 years to get here but <laughs> I made it in the end that's fantastic um did did you uh was there a parent or a teacher or anything along the way that recognized that that you uh you know had this desire and that that maybe there was uh something there um well when i was about 9 years old i wrote a short story and they called together the whole year group to read out the story to everyone um so that was a really big moment for me where i thought wow people are actually enjoying my work and my story but the problem i think with a lot of us when we go to high school and um we kind of don't want to stand out too much for the wrong reasons. And I think I really just kept my ambitions to myself for a long time after that, just because um, at school you were bullied if you were too hardworking and that sort of thing. So it was better to stay under the radar for those years, I think. <laughs> Isn't that the dumbest thing ever that, oh, uh, no. that the kids punish <laughs> each other for uh, wanting to, to excel and to, to do something. And then, you know, those people that that do the the teasing and the punishing, uh, you know, find themselves later in life scrambling to make up time when uh, they would have been much better served to to embrace their their passions early. That's it. Yeah, it's such a shame, isn't it? It is. It is. So um, when you when you finished high school, um, what did you decide that you wanted to do with your life? Well, it was always writing, but I think I didn't believe in myself enough and perhaps people around me didn't. Because I think when you say you want to be a writer, um, it's generally seen as a hobby or a pipe dream. So I left school when I was 16 and I got a job as an office junior in a solicitor's office, um, like a lawyer's office, and worked there for a bit, then went back to um, college, finished my A-levels and then went to university after which I was a teacher for eight years, so an English teacher, so teaching other people's books, but still trying to write my own in the background. 
do do you feel like that time as a teacher um, affected the work that you do now uh, as a uh, as a novelist and as a you know columnist uh, that that you do do you feel like that time prepared you in any specific way or uh, you know, gave you certain motivations? Do you, how do you feel like that time as a teacher informed what you do now? I think what it did give me is some understanding of lots of different types of people and the situations they might find themselves in. And it's also really, I think a lot of novelists have to do a lot of research for the roles that their characters do if they haven't had a job um, or various jobs in the past. Um, So far, I've been able to draw on my own experience for a lot of things. And that's been helpful um, because uh, teaching was my main career, but I've done various things, secretarial work and um, one or two other things in the past. And that's just really, I guess it was research. I just didn't know it at the time. So uh, how did you transition to um, to the writing that you're doing now? Was there a, um, you know, an, an aha moment? Uh, was it, uh, did, did you just start taking little freelance gigs? What, what brought you into this world? Um, well, I finished my first novel when I was 24, and I kept writing novels and, send, and I'd send them off to a few agents and they'd get rejected. And in those days, it sounds hundreds of years ago now, but not that long ago, <laughs> but you had to send off a big manila envelope and you'd come home from work and you'd open the door and there would be a manila envelope and you'd know it was a rejection because they sent the whole thing back. Um, and I guess it was really by chance that I came across the sort of writing, the the freelance writing that I now work in, because we moved to France, my husband and I, in 2009. We both were teachers and we decided to have an adventure. We were going to run a a bed and breakfast, but that never happened. Um, (laughs) And basically, I I had had twins in um, 2012, my, my second pregnancy, and it was very, very difficult. And afterwards, I really needed, I was quite depressed and I needed something to help me keep going. And, and I just decided to do a writing course. And it was really not so much about writing, but about how to get your writing published. And the first thing you had to do, basically, the premise of the course was you've got to, if you, if you get to the end of the course and you haven't made the money back from the course, we'll give you a refund. So I was thinking, well, I'll make sure I do everything they say. And the first module was about writing for newspapers and magazines, which I wasn't that interested in really at the time. But uh, because their their assignments were things like sending things off to editors, I'd, I'd do it because I think, well, I'll keep the evidence and I'll get rejected and um, I'll get my money back. And actually, uh, I got a yes. Um, my first yes quite soon after my pitch and um, it went to my spam emails. So I nearly missed it. Um, and then after that, things accelerated and I, I guess I just gained confidence. I didn't really know that you could just approach magazines with ideas and, and get your foot in the door, but I kind of, I did it that way and built it up and yeah, kept writing novels on the side and eventually got there. You, you bring up an, an interesting, um, topic that, that I want to ask you a little more about the, the idea of writing but writing something that you're not necessarily passionate about um mm. but that you do for um for either experience or to earn a paycheck uh which mm. is which is absolutely um uh you know authentic um you know earning a living with your writing is nothing mm. to be to be looked down upon by anything 
Um, but um, I, you know, I think a lot of people have these dreams of writing their passion project, and and there's nothing wrong with that at all. And I, I don't want to discourage people that that do that. But um, for some people, the path um, to that that passion project involves doing some things that that you don't necessarily think of as your passion but sure. uh but maybe you know you acquire skills along the way or maybe it's just confidence or maybe it's just you know the the idea of uh you know words on the page that that build up that you know give you these things how do you feel like doing those things that you weren't necessarily passionate about in the beginning helped you in in the place where you are today Oh, so much, really, because I think when I was younger, I was writing, I was writing, I, I thought that readers are going to want to read this book. They don't know it yet, but they, I know what they need more than they know. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, um, I guess, uh, arrogance about it, I think. And I learned through writing for magazines uh, to think about the target audience a bit more when I was pitching ideas and gained an understanding, really, of of how things are received and it didn't really change my writing immensely but I it made me think a little bit more about the way I wanted to write and what I wanted to communicate and I think just that and just a bit more life experience helped me just to kind of tweak things that little bit more and when I look back at my books because I got them my earlier books I got them all printed up just for myself um and I'll sometimes just pick one up off the shelf and, and open it on a random page and see what I think. And I, I'm always quite thinking, actually, that's not so bad. It's quite good. And I think all it was really with me was lack of confidence to continue sending things off. Uh, you, you develop a quite a thick skin when you're freelancing because you send a lot of pictures off and a lot of them don't get accepted. And it's nothing to do with your writing or its quality. It's just being the right story at the right time. And that really does go for novels as well. It's a heartache when things don't quite get picked up. But I think there's there's an element. It doesn't matter how good you are as a writer. There is always that element of luck, that right day, right desk, right time. They haven't just picked up another novel that's a bit similar. And um, you need that moment as well. So I think shaping my work a bit and also just realizing that I was going to keep going no matter what. They were the two things I, I guess I drew from that. So what happened to those first novels that you wrote? Did, did they see the light of day? Did, uh, are, are they still um, occupying a desk drawer? What happened with those? <laughs> they, are, they are in my office and um, they're not ever really going to go anywhere, I don't think. I'm not, because I can see... I, I kind of like them and I'm fond of them in the same way that you you look back on yourself in the past and think, oh, I didn't really know anything back then. And I guess what I want to share with the world now has changed because just getting older and going through more things. So I'll always keep them and maybe my kids will read them one day, but they're, they're just part of the process of developing, I think. And it's a lot of words to write just to develop them. I'm at peace with that. I think it's I'm happy and I'm excited to write new stuff rather than go back and, and resurrect anything at the moment, at least. Sure. Um, your, your new book, Every, everything is fine is, um, uh, it 
has a very wry sense of humor. Um, it's very self-deprecating in, in places. And there are some very uh, serious um, topics under the uh, kind of under the surface. Um, and it, for me, uh, the humor really helps um, to connect with the story. Um, did your earlier writing before everything is fine, had you developed that um, that sort of sense of humor that that comes across on the page? Um, I think to a certain extent, um, my, I have toyed with different genres over the years. So my very first book was a ghost story. Um, but when I look back at some of the characters in that book, I see that they're quite humorous in their own way. And I think when I was trying to write, one of them was a, a psychological suspense and there's still a little bit of humor there too. So I think it, it was naturally there. And I think perhaps some of the work that I've done on, on writing opinion pieces and columns, that's helped that to come to the fore a little bit more. So I'm more confident about using humor now. And I think there's a certain amount of bravery in it, trying to be funny because it's a big risk, isn't it? Yes. And um, just learning that, that it does work and maybe not hundred percent of the time, but uh, you just get a bit more confident. And, and I think as well, I mean, um, as you get older, you care a little less about whether it works or not. If that makes sense, you're a bit more flippant, you're a bit more experienced. So I think that's just something that's come out as I've grown up, I guess. And, um, as I've and maybe it was there, but it's, it's come more to the fore now. Um, Jillian, I love to hear stories of the beginnings of things where, you know, what uh, what the initial spark of inspiration, uh, because for everyone, those those initial sparks are are a little different. Sometimes, uh, you know, we think of a character and then this character sort of comes alive in our mind and starts doing things. And we're we're just uh, observing. Uh, sometimes it's a it's a scenario. Maybe we read a newspaper article or something, and we start playing the the what if game uh, in our minds, and and a story begins that way. Uh, when you first started thinking of everything is fine, what was that initial inspiration that got this story to uh, to come alive for you? It was quite interesting, actually, because I know exactly when the the basic idea came to me. I was speaking to my sister on the phone and I, I live in quite a rural area of France so there's not any sort of nightlife um, and my sister still lives in the UK and I'd look on her Facebook and see that she was doing all what looked like these glamorous parties and and I think oh I should be doing things like that what am I doing in rural France and um, I, I spoke to her about it on the phone I said oh you look like you're having so much fun and she said Yes, but that's just Facebook. Everyone knows that's not real. <laughs> and the thing is, my sister, she, yeah, she's, she's not, she hasn't got a, a public persona or anything like that. So she's literally putting photos on Facebook like an ordinary person does. She's creating this image of herself that isn't real. And I thought, I mean, I knew, we all know, don't we, that social media is just a shot and we can be anyone we want to um, I thought, what's the point of Facebook then? Because that's really, that's what, she, what she's done with, with all those pictures is made me feel jealous, made me feel a little bit bad about my own life. And I'm sure that's not her intention at all. So 
it made me think a lot about social media and, and why we put what we put on it. And it really came from that. You know, how much could we lie on social media before we're found out in real life? Um, actually, my first idea for the book was more that it might be a, some sort of murder mystery because I thought if you were to take over someone's social media and you were murdered them, how long would it be till anyone in real life realized they weren't around anymore? Because I think so many of us just live online these days, but then obviously the humor took over a little bit more. Is this a topic that you've explored in your other writing, in your uh, sort of um, nonfiction uh, writer life? Um, not really, not really. I think I've, I suppose like everyone, I've, I've, dabbled on social media I'm on there I love it sometimes and I hate it on other times and <laughs> I think we're all anyone who hasn't grown up with social media but they've, they've come into social media um, as an adult has that I think that sort of what am I doing kind of feeling and um, you've got to try and stay true to yourself while also being part of things and I think I've maybe I've spent a lot of time I'm thinking about that. Where's the balance? Who do I want to actually be? Do I want to make people feel happy or do I want them to think I've got this great life or, or what is it that I'm doing and why? So I, I suppose it's just things that I've thought about rather than written about before. So in the beginning of the book, we meet um, Jessica Bradley, the, the mm. protagonist of the story. Um, where did Jessica come from for you? I think. Jessica is, there's a little bit of me there, a little bit of trying to keep up all those, you know, all the balls in the air at the same time and not quite feeling like you manage it. And just taking that, that feeling of, of wanting to be something, but not quite managing to be it and taking it to the extreme. So I guess there's a little bit of me there. There's a little bit of social media influences I've seen. Um, a lot of imagination and she just came together from all that. I wanted her to be sympathetic. I wanted it to be something that had happened to her and that she, she had to maintain not just for herself. I think that was quite important because it's not really about vanity that she's trying to keep up this appearance, but about her, her work and her own insecurities. And so it, it was that, I guess that combination of things that, that helped her to, to really come to life. Um, you, um, you allow her to, to have a, a bit of a personal crisis and, and personal tragedy that happens. Um, how did you decide, uh, you know, kind of what pain to inflict on her? I think a lot of it, I mean, some, some of the things that happen, obviously, are purely there to break open this idea of, of being an influencer and how that might restrict you in some ways of, as to having the opinions that you really want. So having to write things up as really great when they're maybe not ideal. And I think just you, you take a situation and you just push it as far as, as you feel it can go whilst remaining within the realms of believable. And it was just that, I guess it depended what was happening around me and, and how wicked I felt that day when I was writing that chapter. But um, I had some fun with it and um, I wanted it to sort of 
I don't know, highlight some issues that I feel are important as well at the same time. So I'd sort of go alongside certain issues and bring the humor to them and the things that Jessica did to highlight them as well within the context of the story. Dream Author by Sophie Hanna is an immersive 14-month coaching program for writers at any and every level of experience, and also for those of you who want to write and are just waiting for the right encouragement and guidance to get you started. Your writing dreams should make you happy. For so many of us, our dreams are not a source of happiness. Instead, they cause us stress, guilt, frustration, and even shame. Here's the great news. All of these feelings are natural and all writers experience them. The problem, though, is that when your writing dreams bring you more anxiety than joy, it affects your resolve and your productivity, and you end up not taking the action you need to take in order to propel your dreams in the right direction so that they can stand a strong chance of coming true. That's why Sophie created the Dream Author Coaching Program to teach anyone who is passionate about writing how to change the way they build, think about, and pursue their writing dreams in order to become their own most powerful ally and advocate for the rest of their writing life. And more great news. Once you've learned that skill, it lasts forever. Visit dreamauthorcoaching.com to get started today. Jillian, we love to have this conversation uh, with writers uh, about how there there seem to be two predominant camps of writers, the, the plotters uh, and the pantsers, or people that write by the seat of their pants. Um, in, in my experience, the truth is often somewhere in the middle that very rarely are people, um, ardent, uh, occupants of either one of those camps, but, but the, they do kind of, you know, people trend one way or the other. Um, what sort of pre-writing did you do before you began the novel or, um, what, do you consider yourself in one of those camps? Uh, for me, it. I started off the first the first two novels, so everything is fine, and the one I've, um, I'm working on at the moment, um, just finishing the edits for. They were both. I was firmly a pantser at that point, and I think part of it is because I wasn't confident enough to know I could take an idea through the whole eighty thousand words of a novel. So what I would do is I'd I'd start with this idea, and I'd maybe write three chapters to see if it had legs. And then I'd sort of plan the next few events ahead and, and try and shape it that way, get to that word count, see where it was going and, and plan a little bit. But um, I've literally just written another book and I planned everything. And I really enjoyed writing it because I, I planning. I think probably a lot of writers don't like that bit because you just want you're itching to get creative and you, you're thinking about boring things like structure and um, story arcs and that kind of thing. But I forced myself to plan. And having written a few unpublished books and, and, a, and this published one and one that's been accepted, I had more experience of what I needed to do to draw an idea out across the whole of the, the length of the novel. So I think it took writing a few novels as a pantser to, to become a planner. But now I don't think I would start a novel without knowing exactly where it was going because it was so great to sit down and think right what's this chapter going to be about and then I could just it would only be the bare bones of it so I could unleash my creativity without having to worry about hang on 
didn't she have a sister earlier or who, what's this character doing now? And that sort of thing, which used to happen to me before. So, um, yeah, it's been a transition, I guess. Well, some people would say that when you know too much about the story, um, then there's no, uh, no way for the writing to be dynamic and for unexpected mm. things to come in. But I, I like to think of it in that if you have some of these decisions made ahead of time, then the writing can be more dynamic because your your brain's not busy um, obeying the rules of the story, if mm. you will. Um, you get to um, you know kind of see the magic in the story from there. Is is that true for you? I think so. Yeah, I suppose. Although I planned recently all the chapters, I I didn't stop myself because I think. You change all the time, don't you? Things happen to you each day that affect the way you think about things. And the chapter you'd write on one day would be from the same plan, would be very different if you wrote it the next day. And I think perhaps not being too rigid and not planning, all I would have maybe is a sentence or two about roughly what's going to happen. And then I think within that, there's so much you can do with description and other characters maybe popping in that you didn't expect or sometimes you write it and it's that event itself is quite short or much longer. So I think you've got to allow yourself some, some space to be creative, but I do love the, the idea that you're, you're floating it on the structure. So you kind of know where you're going. They so can put little clues and hints in that maybe I would have had to add retrospectively before. When you finish that first draft and uh, then you start the process of editing, how long do you mm-hmm. give yourself uh, between finishing that first draft and then going back to revisit and see, you know, b- because now you, you have an understanding of the whole story and, and all of that, but how long do you give yourself between those two steps? I'm terrible, really, because I'm, I'm very impatient and... I, I think if in an ideal world, you'd do a couple of weeks, but I'm more likely to want to print it out and start reading it straight away. And uh, just because I'm excited usually when I've finished it and I want to see what it's like. And that can be quite good, actually, because you've still got the, somehow you're still holding the whole of the story in your head. You remember the characters and how they felt to you. So that, that really is that's something I would just do almost straight away and then maybe get someone else to read it and come back to it and edit it again after that when you're a little bit more cold and you're coming to it as a, a kind of fresh reader. But initially I can't help but read it when, I, when I've just written it just because I want to see what I've done, I guess. When you were working on uh, this book, Everything is Fine, did you sense that there was something different about this story or that this you know, might be the, the one uh, that, that uh, finally, you know, makes its way out into the world. Uh, did, did you sense there was anything about this book? Well, the last, the book I wrote just before it was my nearly book. It it had some full read-throughs. It had a little bit of attention from a couple of agents. And, but I kind of got tired of it and I stopped sending it out. I had this idea. And I suppose I had the confidence that a couple of agents had said, we want to see what you write next. Do send me next. So I think I felt a little bit more sure of myself that at least somebody was going to read it, even if it didn't go any further than that. But there was, there was that. And I think 
I what well, one thing I did on this book that maybe I hadn't done in the past is I put it first because writing was something I'd always felt writing the novels at least um, I had to fit around other things and this time I thought no I'm going to make sure I sit down and write every day and I think that really helped me to hold it all together and keep the momentum up and learn about the characters so yeah it, it did feel good but I think I will say that I think every book I finished I thought was going to be the one until I found out that it wasn't so um <laughs> Maybe it just retrospectively feels that way. I don't know. So, Jillian, if if uh, if you meet someone and they know nothing about you and they know nothing about your book, um, mm. what would be the elevator pitch that you gave them on on why you feel like this book would connect with them? I think it's important that books have something to say, and I think. I like humor, but I think the best humor is the humor that makes you think about things and um, the way that you feel and the way that society is and makes you rethink a little bit. And that's what I've tried to do with the book. It's got the, the pathos. It's got the, the big questions, I think, about how we view social media. It's things about, um, I guess, women's problems if you want to call them that and how they're treated by society and this whole idea of appearances so it will make you laugh and it it brings you through quite quickly but at the same time I think it's something that you hopefully revisit in your mind and, and it makes you look at the world in a slightly different way afterwards um, I certainly know people have said to me that they have to really think carefully when they use a hashtag now because it always makes them think about the book well, the new book is called Everything is Fine, the funny, feel-good, and uplifting page-turner you won't want you want to be able to put down. Uh, we're going to put links to it in the show notes of this episode to make it easy for people to find. Um, Jillian, if people are just learning about you, where can they find you online? Um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at JillPlus5. And I'm also, I've got my website, which is www.jillianharvey.com. So I'm all over the place. Excellent. We're going to send people to uh, send everyone to see you and to pick up their copy of Everything is Thank Fine. Uh, Jillian, this has been so much fun chatting. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it.